let me ask you this. What do you, who do you think would be harder to beat? Spawn in Hell or Batman in Gotham? The spawn in Hell. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're talking, you know. Definitely. Welcome to Issues on Issues, a weekly podcast series brought to you by the team at Brilliance, where we share our take on all aspects related to the graphic novel industry. We discuss and debate current events within the comic community and allegorical themes illustrated in various creative works. This week, we meet with Austin Evangelista, founder and CEO of One Blue Land. We discuss Lois Lane, Enemy of the People by Greg Rucka. But first, we discuss some current events, including the latest in the DCU, as well as Across the Spider-Verse, Gotham Knights, and Superman and Lois Season 3. Please be advised that our conversations may contain spoilers of the works discussed. Stick with us for more right after this quick commercial break. Comic book creators, revolutionize your platform, supercharge your value, engage your fans like never before. Welcome to Brilliance. Current e-publishing models limit your access to readers, impose pricing restrictions, and offer tiny royalties. Brilliance is a new e-publishing platform. At Brilliance, crowdfund concepts, connect with your readers, set your prices, and enjoy royalties that endure. Let's establish this new paradigm together. Learn more at Brilliance.io. That's Brilliance.io. Sign up today to publish for free. All right, Britt, what's going on, man? How's your how's your week been? You know, same old, same old, man. We're 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 coming to the end of the year, so uh, I'm just looking forward to some holiday time with the fam, some rest and relaxation, a little R and R. How about I hear you? That. I hear that. Yeah, yeah, same. It's starting to get cold over here. <laughs> I know you probably forgot all about that, the cold. Um, mm. So you know, dealing with that. But other than that, you know, yeah, I'm excited for the holiday. And I'm, hopefully I'll get some extra reading and I got a whole stack of stuff to read. So I'm excited to get into that. Yeah, for sure. Definitely sounds good, man. Um, so, yeah, what do you want to talk about? You know, I thought we would definitely first start off with our, our weekly, now weekly, <laughs> nod to DCU and what James Gunn is doing over there. Have you heard what's going on lately? Yeah, no, you, you shared a really great Twitter thread in the in the group chat. I don't want to steal your thunder, man. All right. Well, you want to have at it? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Tell, tell, tell us what happened. Yeah, so let me just just read it, and then we could discuss it, all right? So Mm -hmm. James Gunn recently tweeted, Peter and I have a DC slate ready to go, which we couldn't be more over the moon about. We'll be able to share some exciting information about our first projects at the beginning of the new year. So that's that's dope. Among those on the slate is Superman in the initial stages. Our story will Mm -hmm. be focusing on an earlier part of Superman's life, so the characters will not be played by Henry Cavill. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) But we we just had a great meeting with Henry and we were big fans and we talked about a number of exciting possibilities to work together in the future. So that's, that's what he wrote. Wow. That that's, that's a bold move. The first thing you do is you take out Superman. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's put it like this. So from, from the Twitter thread that you shared in our group chat, I, I was, I was, you know, thumbing through it and it seems that, the majority of fans are really upset about the fact that 
that they just kind of welcome Henry Cavill back into the universe in the little post-credit scene in Black Adam. And now he's already being cast aside again, you know, even after he announced on his own personal social media accounts that he was back and he showed a picture of him in the Superman suit and all that stuff. Apparently that's all for naught. And I think the fans are really upset about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we like we say, he, James Gunn and Peter Safran, they're in a tough situation, right? I mean, where do you start? What do you get rid of? What do you keep? And uh, this is this is their move. Although, when you read some of the Twitter threads, it it sounds clearly that they're going in a different direction than Henry Cavill. But he does mention that they met with him, and maybe there might be possibilities in the future to collaborate. So, who knows? Maybe. Yeah. No. I mean. Um... It's interesting. I, I I was again. I was thumbing through the thread, and and someone asked. I want to say directly to James Gunn: Is it going to be an origin story? And I think he said it's not. That's correct. Yeah. So I'm curious to know how you're going to do a young Superman movie that's not an origin story. And then you know, and then not only that though, like, what's the goal? Like, are you trying to establish a young superhero universe? Like, I know Marvel right now is really leaning heavy into like, you know, Spider-Man and Miss Marvel and, uh, you know, a lot of their younger heroes trying to establish them. I wonder if DC is maybe going to go that route and have some young heroes and, and maybe watch them as they grow or or are they trying to just reboot the universe and maybe bring in like other, you know, maybe lesser heroes, you know, quote unquote, and then maybe bring Superman in later. And then if so, why would you have a young Superman movie? I, I don't know. It's It sounds ambitious. And, you know, I mean, James Gunn is a very popular director and, and, and creator. So, you know, I'm going to trust he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said he's doing the writing. He says he's been doing a lot of the writing. Um, he didn't really say that he's going to be directing, but he did say that they asked about Ben Affleck and he said mm-hmm. that he's in, they're interested in having him come and do some directing. They're just trying to figure yeah. out what the right project is. Well, that was the real reason why he left the Matt Reeves project and the Batman and they, they brought in um, Pattinson, <laughs> Robert Pattinson, because Ben Affleck really wanted to direct that film. And he, he had been working on a script for it. And the powers that be at DC weren't necessarily digging his vision. So that's when they brought in Matt Reeves and then Matt Reeves got Robert Pattinson and you know, the rest is history from there. Well, can you, can you break that down? It's cause it sounds like you understand that a little bit better than I do. Cause I, I remember that was Ben Affleck's vision. That was his plan. The, the Batman as the detective story, he was going to play Batman. He was going to direct it. And then that all got shelled. So what exactly happened? I mean, you know, basically the fallout from, what happened with Justice League and, you know, Joss Whedon and, you know, uh, you know, and, and obviously Zack Snyder had a had a tough situation. He had to uh, step away due to a personal family tragedy. Right. Um, but when that happened, you know, and, and they brought in uh, Joss Whedon, it just became uh, a hodgepodge of stuff. No one really understood what was going on in, in the DC universe at that time. And, uh, you know, I want to say the studio mandated that Whedon do a lot of things that, uh, the actors weren't necessarily fans of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think as kind of like a knee-jerk reaction, Ben Affleck was going to write and direct this Batman movie to kind of be almost the antithesis of what they did in <laughs> Justice League. Okay. And at the time, I feel like before the big studio you know, shakeup, before Safran and Gunn came in, uh, the studio heads really were kind of leaning into the Joss Whedon kind of direction that they were going in. And it was just a lot of friction and back and forth. And so I think eventually Ben Affleck was just kind of done with it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
that's when he decided to step away. But I mean, I'm sure he's champing at the bit to come back and, you know, maybe retell the story he wanted to tell. Now, here's the thing. Is the DCU big enough to have Pattinson, Batman, and and Batfleck, Batman? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It depends on the direction that James Gunn decides to go. I mean, you know, we we talked about that. I I think I I like both, but um, he might try to go for one Batman at a time kind of thing. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, and here's the thing. The big wild card that's still on the plate is the Flashpoint movie, because Mm -hmm. in the Flashpoint storyline, there's a lot of alternate realities and, you know, alternate pasts and alternate futures. So, you know, there's a lot of leeway and wiggle room to maybe have alternative versions of each character or, you know, different origins. I don't know. Yeah, but, that's uh, right. Because weren't they talking about having um, the first Batman come back? Yeah, no, they. So, yeah, so they're going to bring back Michael Keaton in that movie. To be honest with you, I don't know what role he's going to play. Like, he could be, for all I know, playing Thomas Wayne Batman, mm-hmm. which, you know, in the Flashpoint storyline, he was a very prominent figure. And, you know, it's a really touching story. At the end, Thomas Wayne sends a letter using the Flash who mm-hmm. trans, you know, transverses through time to Bruce Wayne. It's, it's a cool idea. But, um, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with when Flashpoint comes out. Yeah, and and they they moved it up, so we're definitely going to get that one. <laughs> yeah, they can't. That that movie is too big to fail. They're not going to lose money on that, <laughs> or at least they're they're going to try to mitigate as many losses as possible when it comes to that. I should say. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of losses, real quick, you know, um, Black Adam is is coming to HBO this week. So uh, <laughs> already. Has- <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, man. <laughs> so for those of you that, you know, felt the need to hold out, you can uh, watch it on HBO, HBO Max if you got it. All right. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned, um, you know, talking about the the younger uh, superheroes and talked about Marvel with uh, Spider-Man and, and you you brought to the table um, the, the new news with Spider-Man. You want to share that? Well, no, uh, they released the official trailer for the new Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse movie. And I've seen it. I've seen it like once or twice, but it it, it really looks cool. It's an older Miles Morales. Uh, he's talking to his mother and, you know, they're having like, you know, a discussion about his powers. And it, it really kind of gives you the from Spider-Man No Way Home, like the Aunt May uh, Peter vibes. You know the great power, great responsibility, uh, kind of deal, and uh, I think this team nailed it with the first movie. So I'm just excited to see what's going to happen in this new uh, this the sequel is coming out pretty soon. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you, man. I watched that trailer and I got excited. I, I I you know from the little bit I saw, I think they nailed it again, man. I really do. I, I think yeah. they just they just hit that they hit that sweet spot, you know, just you said, you know, great power comes great responsibility, but they also have, you know, kind of the hint of being the other or people doubting your abilities and and all that kind of just tied all in there together. Um thought, I thought they they did a great job. And I'm like, yo, did you see all of the different Spider-Man? Yo, it's crazy. Yeah. From what I understand, I was I was listening to a different podcast or someone else, and they were talking about it, and they was basically said, in this movie, there's going to be somewhere around five to maybe ten different animation styles. So you know, all the different Spider Man coming from all the different universes, like they did Spider Man Noir, and how you know they kind of did the anime feel with the 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 girl Spider Man who had like the technological robot, and you know. Uh, and all the different Spider-Man from the previous movie, you know how they animated them in different styles. I think they're going to do that here, but like on a 
scale that is like you know exponentially bigger than what they did last time yeah the animation looks sick yeah it looks really cool you know and they're gonna really lean heavy into the um miles and gwen relationship so i'm here for that you know i I love to see miles you know (laughs) get to have a little love interest that's cool and uh from what i understand the the bad guy in this movie and in the third movie because apparently they've already planned out a third movie the bad guy is going to be the spot it is like part one and part two thing going on here right yeah it's i am i think so um all i know is that they're you know the bad guy is going to appear in this movie and then carry over into the the third sequel, which is the, the third movie, the second sequel. <laughs> yeah, it's like the perfect villain for this role, right? Because it's like the multiverse and spot. Basically, that that's his superpower, being able to have all these interdimensional portals with the spots and stuff. So it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, and I'm happy that they're bringing in a different villain. I mean, you know, we've you know, I like the fact that they kind of gender bent Doc Ock in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, we've seen Doc Ock a million different times. You know, we've seen, we've seen, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, Spider-Man's real nemesis is Venom. We haven't seen them together. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen, we've seen many iterations of the, of the Spider-Man bad guys. You know, we've seen Shocker. We've seen, you know, Doc Ock, you know, uh, you know, we've seen them all. And I'm happy that they're going to go with a different villain this time. You, so a couple of things. So, um, they had um, Spider-Man 2099 showing up and, and like they, he was fighting um, Miles. So that, that'll be interesting to see that play out, you know? Yeah, uh, no, I have, a, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of spider fighting going on. <laughs> yeah. And but what I thought was the coolest thing was the character that Issa Rae is going to be playing us, uh, the Spider-Woman. Um, but it's mm-hmm. it's like a throwback Spider-Man. I don't know if you know the backstory a little bit because I, I looked into it a little bit. Apparently... Way back when, the first Spider-Woman was a black woman. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, man. She was like, her name was Valerie the Librarian. And um, this is like way back when, you know, they had, you know, um, Black Panther, Luke Cage, and, and then this woman, Valerie the Librarian. And, and so she teams up with Spider-Man. And basically, like, Spider-Man drops his suit somewhere, and she picks it up. And, you know, she was looking up at Spider-Man as, like, a role model. So she wanted to help fight criminals and stuff. And so she, like, got some suction cups and wore the Spider-Man suit and teamed up with Spider-Man while Spider-Man was fighting the Vulture. And if you if you look at the clip, that's exactly who she's fighting. Like, she's on, like, a, a motorcycle, and um, she's fighting the Vulture. I'm like, oh, man, that, that's dope. But in this iteration, in the in the movie version, it's not going to be Valerie the Librarian. It's going to be um, Jessica Drew. But she looks like Valerie the Librarian, you know, because mm-hmm. the Jessica Drew everybody knows is a is is a white woman, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. So I thought that was dope that they that they paid homage to that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I, Jessica Drew is a really interesting character because she's going to be really important, especially when they start going into Secret Invasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I I like that they're introducing her here. They're they're going to get people familiar with the character. And then when people actually have a sense of who the character is and then when they have, when they eventually drop Secret Wars, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a, a really big character in that arc. Yeah, I'm excited for Secret Wars. But but to all the listeners out there, yeah, please please reach out to us. Let us know who you think is uh, well. Who are you most excited to see? What what Spider Man character are you most excited to see um, coming out? Love to hear mm-hmm. because they got so many. I think uh, Sony is taking. Oh, you think we only have uh, Spider Man as our IP? There's tons of Spider Man. We got plenty of IP. <laughs> That's basically what they're saying. Yeah, no, they they have they own hundreds of characters. 
Also, real fast, I just wanted to talk about uh, they just announced the new air dates for Gotham Knights and the new Superman and Lois season three coming out on CW. Okay. Uh, both shows are going to be co- dropping on Pi Day, March 14th, <laughs> 314. Uh, so they'll both be coming out that day. Um, it's rumored that Lex Luthor is going to make an appearance in the new Superman and Lois TV show. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns in that storyline coming up. And then a new show, Gotham Knights, is going to prominently feature the sidekicks of Batman. So in this storyline, Batman's dead. And, you know, uh, Harper Rowe, who, Joff, you said was uh, Black, Black, Bluebird? Yeah, Bluebird. Yeah, Bluebird is going to be one of the main characters. Uh, they're also going to be following Harvey Dent. Uh, and Carrie Kelly, who, you know, is the female Robin, uh, amongst others. So do you think Batman's really dead? (laughs) (laughs) You know, here's the thing. I want to say, I I, I remember Superman famously died. I I know, uh, Wonder Woman, I don't know if she died, but she kind of went into a coma and went away for a while and, and forgot she was an Amazon. Hmm. So that was kind of a way for her, for her to go away. I've I've never seen a situation where Batman has died. You know, Batman has been on the verge of death many times. <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've never seen a, a thing where he died. And honestly, you know, one thing I'll say this is as a huge Batman fan, it's 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 hard to tell a Gotham story like Gotham Knights without having Batman in there. You know, if he really is dead on the show. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know if maybe they do flashbacks or they, you know, how much they allude to him and his influence over their lives, uh, like all the sidekicks and Robins. Uh, but it's a hard, it, it's, let's put it this, it's going to be a tough tightrope to walk. If they can do it and do it well, I'm sure, you know, it'll, it'll be great, but it's, it's a tough one, you know, yeah. especially when you're, when you're not using like the more familiar sidekicks, like, you know, the Dick Grayson's. Yeah, you, you know, gotta have the, Dick Grayson in there, right? Because Dick Grayson can hold his own. I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah. If you yeah, if you're not having like you know Jason Todd or you know, you know like the more you know, you know, usual Robin sidekicks, it's it's gonna be a tough road. But I mean, hopefully they introduce new interesting characters. And I imagine you know because <laughs> it's funny, right? James Gunn kind of just killed off uh, Henry Cavill Superman. And now they're introducing this new Superman and Lois season three. So that's going to try to fill the void there. But on the other side of it, you know, <laughs> I think there's an oversaturation of Batman, you know, like Ben Affleck's rumored to come back and direct. And, you know, we know we have the Matt Reeves movie and, and you know, we, we're bringing back Keaton. Yeah, we're bringing back Michael Keaton. So there's so many Batman <laughs> in the movie universe. So you're like, you know what, let's just kill off Batman for TV. <laughs> So it's like you know, it's an interesting strategy they're they're employing over there at the DCU right now. Yeah, switching it up. You talking about them killing Batman? Give, give me a flashback to I just recently I and man, I'm gonna mess this up, but I saw this uh, image from I think it was like a Catwoman uh, storyline where she's um, it's like over the holidays and she's basically at the t- tombstone of Bruce Wayne and she's talking about how you know, they, I guess they were dating and there was a cat and the cat died. And, you know, he talked, you know, he was counseling her like grieving through the loss of the cat. And, you know, she was basically saying it was all BS because she's mourning his loss. Like he was dead or something like that. It it was a really touching page. uh, The way, the way the, you know, they put it together. 
So somewhere out there, there is an arc where, you know, he died, I guess. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> every time Batman died, it's like, I wasn't really dead. I faked my That's death. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy it. <laughs> it's all part of his master plan somewhere. Yeah, man. Oh, wait, real quick. Yo, speaking of Batman, I got to mention this week, Batman and Spawn dropped. Todd McFarlane, uh, Greg Capullo came out with um, the new uh, Spawn, Batman Spawn crossover with DC and Image. Um, and it was dope. Got the, the Court of Owls in it and a um, mm. lot of unanswered questions. I, it was a one shot, but I am curious to see if they go somewhere with this because they, it definitely changed some of the um, uh, the narrative and added some extra dimensions to certain things that are standard batman canon yeah i haven't read it but i looked at the cover and it's like batman standing over spawn who's on his back Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's like you know here's the thing i love batman i i love batman because he always has this improbable like ability to beat people who are way more powerful than him (laughs) yeah i mean i I don't want to ruin it for you guys but don't get it twisted i mean spawn is definitely (laughs) definitely more powerful than than batman and and the book doesn't doesn't hide that fact okay okay i'm just looking at the cover and i'm just seeing batman lording over spawn i'm like eh, i don't know yeah it's Um, it's not it's not okay okay because i was gonna say because because it looked like a batman book from all but i i guess is, is it evenly split like do we do we get a lot of spawn background stuff it, it, if I were to pick, it definitely is Spawn coming to Batman's universe. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. Spawn in yeah. Gotham. But it's worth a pickup. There's never been anything like this. Hello and welcome to the Highly Minded Podcast. We always say that. Low minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, and high minds talk about ideas. We talk about it all. Yeah. You already know. (laughs) Available now on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your other favorite podcast platforms. All right, fellas, let's get into it, okay? Uh, The main theme we're going to talk about, or the main topic, the main book we're going to cover today is Lois Lane enemy of the people um it's distributed by dc the writers greg rocca artists mike perkins colorist paul mounts gabe Elteb, and andy troy with letters by simon boland um you know how we like to do i'm gonna, I'm gonna pass it well i can pass it to you Britt, or i could i could take it um and and just kind of give a summary of what what happened you guys let me know no, nah, go for it, man. Yeah. You- All right. You know, because I did read it a couple of times, um, but it's been here or there. So the, the general idea, you know, it's actually pretty cool. You know, you have Lois Lane who even, you know, she's a reporter, but she kind of takes the helm as a more or less a detective in this role. And you're thinking, you know, Superman's always here to save the day. You constantly see throughout the book, she's pushing back saying, no, I got this. And um, it shows her, you know, her intellect, her determination, her grit. And her her team that she forms of uh, women uh, characters to help her solve this uh, this uh, puzzle that she's going through. And actually, there's like several different um, um, 
issues she's addressing throughout the book. Um, and ba- basically, you see her trying to navigate being a, a pseudo celebrity because um, she's a famous Pulitzer Prize winning uh, writer, and she's kind of having a relationship with Superman. No, nobody knows, obviously, that is Clark Kent, who she is married to. Um, and she's going about trying to write these stories. Um, one is dealing about with the government and uh, certain issues regarding um, funding that the White House has received that might not have been on the up and up. And there's issues with um, with some child um, child endangerment issues, border issues, a lot of different topics that she's addressing. Um, she tries to address the White House straight on and uh, she ends up getting kicked out and her, her uh, press pass is revoked. And, um, you know, throughout her journey and trying to understand some of these issues, she, you know, there's an attempt on her, her life or the life of the person she's trying to interview. And um, she hires uh, Montoya, which we know as the detective from uh, Gotham. And um, pretty much that becomes her right-hand woman throughout the course of the, the book as they get into different adventures. And um, ultimately she seems to have, she's, she is demonstrated that she's obviously very smart, determined. She always has like kind of one step ahead of everybody, not really telling everybody everything, um, but kind of trying to put the pieces together to solve the problem. And um, it's an exciting uh, tale, I thought. Very many issues that are covered. Um, anything else you guys want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I thought it was a great book. I was super excited about it. I, I feel like even from the beginning, they set the stakes because uh, one of Lois's rivals and a contemporary reporter from Russia is actually assassinated. And uh, from there, it just kind of snowballs and kind of gives you a glimpse of behind the veil of what Lois Lane actually does. Like, it turns out her superpower is being a reporter like she's every bit the detective that batman is you know what i'm saying she's every bit as fearless as superman is you know what i mean she's every bit as a leader as wonder woman is i mean she is like killing it and i i, I really thought it was cool um obviously in the beginning of the book it kind of deals with like politics and governmental things she's she's investigating the white house apparently something the president put on social media in this book kind of leads to an uproar and needs to be investigated. And and Lois takes it upon herself to be the one to look into it. And, um, you know, which I feel like is very prescient for the moment right now. Um, You know, it, 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 I feel like her and her relationship to, you know, her like many assets in the field, because she's basically like, almost like Nick Fury a little bit too. She sends, she's sending people out in the field to complete missions and retrieve Intel and come back to her. And mm-hmm. I mean, she has, she has it all. Like she knows all the answers and Renee Montoya actually in working with her is uh, speaking. I, I forget who she's speaking with, but you know, the girl is like, um, do you trust Lois or, or, or whatnot? And she's basically like, look, Lois has all the answers and I don't even want to know everything that she knows. Like, I just know that she's always going to, you know, put me in a position to find out the truth. 
And and that's what, you know, Lois's 100% main goal is to get to the truth of every story, of of every event, uh, whatever's going on in the world, Lois wants to be the person who gets to the bottom of it. And even some things that even aren't on this world, <laughs> as maybe we'll talk about later in the book. Yeah, I, th- I think that um, you hit on the key word of the book to me uh, is truth. Um, you hear it come come up a lot. You know, um, they talk about it from the beginning and then that's how the book ends, talking about truth um, from the part where they talk about, <laughs> you know, you could cluster it as you can't handle the truth. You know, she gives that whole speech to Montoya, which, you know, had, she had some dope lines there. You know, like most people who claim they want it actually don't. It's like booze or sugar. Too much makes you sick. You most and, and most don't have the stomach for it, even in small doses. Truth is so potent that given the choice, most people would prefer to ignore it in favor of a lie more to their liking, you know? Um, just, she had some good lines there. Also, she related truth to medicine, being an antiseptic, it hurts at first, but after the shock wears off, if you can take it, you'll get the cure. And, um, you know, that, that was also pretty dope. And then you think about at the end, you know, she brings, they bring it back full circle and then they relate truth to fact. And, you know, obviously, you know, you can think about <laughs> our, our politics and today, and they talk about facts and basically saying that nobody wants, not everybody or nobody wants to deal with facts. You know, we don't really care for facts, but we can all believe in the, the truth, you know, and the, the difference between the truth and facts being more like intellectual, what, what the mind tells you and the truth is what's in your heart and what, what's your truth or what's somebody else's truth. And uh, so yeah, I thought that was really what, fascinating what how they put that all to together. You. Yeah. But that was really cool how they put all that together. Yeah, man, I I, I am one hundred percent a fan of this book. Um, <laughs> so I guess yeah, we I can, can get into yeah, spoilers, the, spoilers now. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you can spoil all we want. I mean, I, I think there was lots of good imagery and and uh, symbolism throughout. You know, there's that part where she's um, speaking to the informant for the the government and you know they're walking through the um what do they call that area the mall you know Washington DC the, the mall area and um you know they see the two soldiers uh in the Vietnam Memorial area although I believe the actual statue is like three or something like that but uh the, the way it's drawn it shows two soldiers um and then you know she talks about the image of those two soldiers and um you know obviously clearly there's the juxtaposition of the two soldiers in vietnam and then these two women trying to figure out how to handle this truth and to how to do what's you know the right thing for the country with the information that they have and you know she, she talks about how much she loves the statue and you know basically how the the soldiers had a choice to make and, you know, and they, they made that choice and that's what she loves about it. And that's kind of what she's seeing in, in that, that's that image right there. And and also kind of parallels to the conversation she had with her father. If you guys recall, you know, she's, you know, there's a, there's a decent scene where she's going back and forth with her father. And um, one of the scenes, you know, she was talking about with her father um, about how they both were fighting for the country and you know she's basically saying um 
you know, you serve your way, I serve mine. Don't pretend you're more of a patriot than I am because you use a rifle and I use a pencil. And, you know, so again, you know, she sees herself as a patriot, as, you know, somebody, a fighter. And, you know, so that kind of parallels the soldiers as well. Really, really cool. Yeah, no, I had to go back and look up Sam Lane myself. I didn't I didn't know much about him, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not like a huge Superman guy, so I'm not like a really, I guess by, you know, association, Lois Lane. I've never really picked up a lot of her stuff, but I I really loved like uh <laughs> I'm trying to think of of like anything in particular that I I that stood out. Um well let me ask you this. Um are you familiar with what happened to like so he he clearly died um and I'm trying to think about, you know, I, I don't know all the stories, you know, I I I understand Leviathan that group of people, um, you know, I understand, you know, the, the, the concept of, you know, with the multiple universes colliding and all that kind of stuff. But I just don't know what happened where she was when like they showed him he's dead. Um, do you know anything about what happened that, that how he died? Not really. I mean, I like again. I think I have the basic uh, broad strokes like you do. Um, basically, Lothiathan was like another Legion of Doom type mm-hmm. of like group, and basically they joined Legion of Doom. And then I think the leader of Lothiathan, I, f- I forget his actual name, well, tried it's, to it's, it's um start, tried to take over Legion of Doom, and it, in in doing so, kind of uh like you know there was a big fallout between all the heroes, and Sam Lane got caught in the middle. That's that's about uh, as much as I so know. So he was about just it. like a bystander kind of like collateral sort of, damage yeah yeah so my understanding of Levi- leviathan is like um raj al ghul's daughter uh she she mm. runs it talia talia yeah so basically if you think about um you know that batman the, the movie batman movie with bane and uh you know how she kind of plays that role that's kind of that was leviathan you know mm. how like they're kind of in the background trying to cause world ending chaos and stuff like that and that was pretty much they didn't i don't think they said the word leviathan in that movie but that is kind of the storyline of some of the stuff that they that she was doing leading that group Mm. is my understanding yeah no i I mean i didn't know that i mean i think it's really interesting getting some backstory about lois in that moment too where she knows she was kind of an army brat and she was a brat in the sense that she really bucked authority like her and her father really butt heads that was something that i was not aware of you know and she was more of a rebel Mm -hmm. and you know uh as we can see you know lois always plays fast and loose with the rules like you know like (laughs) for her like the rules kind of don't apply you know for a lot of things uh you know obviously she's asking questions for a lot of dangerous people uh and at one point I get, like you were mentioned before, the target of of her investigation or who she was interviewing uh, was actually murdered. And she was on her way to, you know, walk in and, and do a complete interview with this person. And right as she's walking in, uh, they're, they're killed. They're assassinated by, you know, a couple of gunmen. And, you know, Lois gets away, obviously, unscathed because she, she hadn't quite gotten into the firing zone. But of course, you know, 
Superman has to show up, Clark. <laughs> and not only does he do that, but like he takes pictures with all the reporters and he's like shaking hands and everything. And it's so crazy because everyone's like, Superman is here. Superman is here. Like, you know, like everyone's waiting to see the Man of Steel. Well, and I, five seconds later, Lois Lane gets him behind closed doors and completely undresses him. Like, <laughs> yo, you do not need to be here. You being here is just going to put a bigger target on me. Like all this other stuff, you know, like. And I thought it was really cool to seeing their dynamic, like how she always had him there for backup. But like she didn't necessarily always need him. And in fact, Later on in the book, her and Renee Montoya are actually going to go on a mission, and Clark asks, "Does he? Do they need help?" And Lois is like, "No," <laughs> and Montoya's like, "Wait, we don't." Yeah, yeah. she, <laughs> she was up. constantly upset about that. Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, why, why, why are we doing this without him? Like, we got the big gun. Why are we doing this? Yeah, but there was actually like two the scenes. biggest gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was there was two scenes that you talked about. They kind of kind of like put them together. Like the first one was when the shooting, and so Montoya, Montoya was there, and she. She warns Lois, so Lois ducks right before the guy the guy shoots, and so obviously she misses. And then after the fact, that's when like Superman swoops in and assesses the scene. Everything is cool, and then he comes out and he just like hovers above everybody, and just and allows for everybody to take a picture of him. And be like, yeah, that's right. Like I'm here. You mess with her, you mess with me, and and yeah, she 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 tore him a new one for that. And then, but then again, when uh, kiss of death comes to assassinate her and you know they survive again you know superman comes again like but but that time they're in chicago and like all the police are outside of the the apartment you know so she's like you know they would like you know so he goes out there and does like a photo op with them everybody's happy but uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i i love their relationship i love the fact that you know you forget like Superman, you know, has all these abilities, like his super hearing, like the fact that she can just whisper at any moment mm-hmm. if she needs him. And she, there's even times where she just speaks into the wind, like, don't worry about it, Kyla. I'm good. Just yeah. stay where you are, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I love that, you know, like that, you know, like, you know, I, I just think that's a really cool um, bond that they share. Like and, they, and, they, and they talk about it a little bit, you know, a couple of times, right? You know, you, like you said, they you see her a couple of times just like speaking into nothing. Everybody's like, what are you doing? You know, but obviously she's talking to him. And, um, you know, there's the part with like, um, they were talking about how, how do you do it? You know, you kind of turn tune out the noise so you can focus on other things. And, you know, so like they had that conversation about how, how he's able to hear, but not always listen you know, when he doesn't want to, because you need to focus on other things. But then also, you know, when she was arguing with her father about him and he was like, can he hear me right now? And she was like, no, you know, I love him. He's my husband. He respects my privacy, yada, yada, yada. You know, so it's interesting to hear all that. Uh, get some insight there. Yeah. I I just, you know, you forget how many superpowers and how they work, you know. Um, he, he also shows his intelligence because um, sometimes you could think, particularly when it's like Superman and Batman, right? You know, Batman's always comes across as smarter than Superman, but definitely you saw Superman showing some intellect throughout the book, you know, just, you know, modest super, you know, modest intellect, but he is clearly there and he just doesn't flex it, you know, too much. I guess, yeah. I mean, if anything, he kind of, he kind of, Oh shucks is his 
his his knowledge like you know like because he's i'm i'm sure if you're a super person and you have to play like mild-mannered clark kent all the time like you probably just fall into the habit of like kind of sometimes giving wrong answers or kind of giving like like you know just slightly off target answers just to not give people the impression that you're aware of all the stuff that you're aware of. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he kind of does that here. Like he, like, you know, it's, and she calls him out on his, on his stuff all the time. Like, she's like, you know, that, you know, because of the political climate, X, Y, Z could never happen, Clark. So don't, let's not do that. Don't, don't play stupid with me. And he's like, okay, you're right. I knew (laughs) that, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. you know and you know as if he's protecting her but you know in, in reality like especially in in this title in this in this run you know like lois knows everything like you know it's, it's her yeah. title run yeah. you know um i think it was really dope I, for one thing i just want to say greg rucka is a great writer he he does a great job with women like he had a really great run on wonder woman which i was really a fan of so i you know i, I love reading stuff by this guy he, he does a great job with a woman protagonist that's good to know. Cool, cool. You know, um, there's a let's, let's let's dig like an extra layer deeper a little bit. Um, there was definitely some imagery, or um, I'm not sure what the right word would be, um, but that you know you could you could apply some of our societal issues on top of some of the things that happened um, in the book. For example, the the beef between Lois and her father, right? So you have, you know, Lois, who was attracted to Superman, and her father was not happy about it. And, you know, <laughs> this goes back to the point that Chris makes, um, he, he has made several times, whether it be with uh, uh, Joker or with, with, with Luther and other, other books that we've read. Um, but you know, super, or was it injustice? Um, but Superman is not a man, right? He's an alien. And so that was one of the issues that Lois's father had. He wasn't one of us. And, you know, you could take it on face value that, you know, he is an alien and all these other kind of stuff like that. But you can also look at it as Superman's a different race, right? And you can look at it, at, you could easily see that being a case of, you know, a family of one race and an interracial relationship and how the father is not really approving of that interracial relationship, but loves the daughter and is trying to come around to it. And, you know, it just kind of reminded me of, you know, guess who's coming to dinner or guess who, or any of those other kind of comedies or shows where it's like the interracial family trying to work it out. I don't know if you guys, pick that up you had any thoughts on that he's also i mean i I think it's it's not surprising that the father is you know upset that his daughter is married to an alien of you know of superhuman power that can't be you know can't be controlled he can't protect her you know it might even just be that you know the father can't protect the daughter you know he can't like go over to superman's house and beat him up one day if he mistreats Lois, like he knows he's powerless. And that that might be a challenge for any father who has to watch their daughter interact with somebody that they can't save them or protect them from. 
Yeah, I, I never thought about it like that. I mean, you know? I have two daughters. I, I I never thought about it like that. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you know, you know, so I think I think that might be. And I, I, gee, I think that you know that what you said is probably very accurate. But I think that's that's probably another level, right? And I think that's also Lex Luthor's issue, right? It's just like he can't be controlled. If he can't, he can't. Like there is no level playing field. And I think that's where like a lot of people who don't feel comfortable around Superman. And I think it's a re- it's a reasonable thing to to, to worry about because he does pose an existential threat to humanity. Um, but you know he he exercises whatever morality he has and t- tends to be on the good side. But um, that that's I think that's in everybody's back of everybody's mind, especially you know people who have spent time you know in covert ops and. And you know, dealing with you know large enemies or large, large, um, uh, let's say, um, and, and complicated conflicts, like knowing that you know, power struggles are real, and balance is important, but there's no balance to Superman. Yeah, I think yes. So I think that is the I don't want to say obvious, but I think that is the clear issue, right? But I think also in Greg Rooker's writing, he is you know, creating that illusion is that is what it or, or you know, he's creating that is it's that layer too, because otherwise, you know, I what what made what it made me what it made what made it really stand out to me was when the father died and Lois was crying to Clark and she says to Clark, he was almost there, like he was almost accepting of who you were, you know? And based on the the fears that you're describing, Chris, nobody could ever be accepting of that, particularly if you come from that, because you can never change that power structure. But that racial issue where you realize, oh, we're all really the same. It's just skin color or it's just different culture or whatever. You know, that is something that, you know, you hear that from like, you know, the interracial relationships kind of theme kind of thing. Like, oh, you know, my father came around, you know, except he wasn't like that, but now he's came around, you know, so that's what really I, I, I think it's, I think it might be the same though. Right. I mean, I think at the end of the day, they can't control it, right. You can't control the racial difference. You can't control if someone's more powerful than you. Um, and you know, at some point you have to salvage the relationship with your daughter. And I think that's what he also, he was seeing. They had political differences, but then also this, this personal piece was driving a wedge between the two of them. I don't know Lois Lane's family. Does she have, I have a couple of questions, but I don't know if she has sisters or if it's just the two of them. I don't know, like if the mother was in the picture. I just don't know. I she, don't had, know she had a sister. Okay, she has a sister. So, oh, that's right. I think I think that was in the book, right? Was there a sister in the book? Yeah, there was a sister remember. in the book. Yeah. And she was all yeah. upset because she didn't take the flag. That's right. That's right. That's right. I remember now. I, I had a couple of questions though, okay. and this is kind of goes to like why this book is. You know, it seems like you guys have some context understanding what's going on in this book, but to pick this up and to read it. I think it's it's an interesting book, but there is so much going on in the background that if you don't have any context, you just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like they introduce characters that, or they 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 enter characters into the scene. You don't have a good understanding of who they are. Like I didn't, I don't know, like who Kiss of Death is, right? Or I don't know like who the nun is. Like who's the nun, or or the relationship with what was what's the lady's the black was it Black Witch or what's her name? The 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 conjurer. Mm-hmm. The person who keeps drawing the this the um, playing the cards, right. and, 
or the chest or something. Yeah, yeah. I forget. She, she, was, she was from a different dimension, but she didn't realize. That are they all Lois Lane variants? Or they just are they just drawn similarly? They're probably drawn similarly, but from what I understand, they're all variants from different parts of the universe that Lois kind of assembled. Okay, but they're not like Lois's other existing other dimensional versions of Lois. No, no. They're 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 some of them are are different versions of each other. Um some of them are, you know, just but they're all like from different parts of the multiverse and kind of uh, Lois brought them together because she's actually, in some ways, protecting the multiverse by keeping them from doing from from their variant streams like going wildly out of control. So, so if if I understood it correctly, the way they describe the multiverse is that like there is like any permutation of any type of existence is possible for any person. And yeah, and okay, keep going, keep going. Yeah, go. Oh. Keep going. And I, well, I have a couple questions first, but one, like, how do these people all end up in the same place? Was there, was there some event where people from different dimensions somehow all end up in the same dimension? Um, or is Lois traveling? Like, how does she meet these people from other dimensions? Yeah, I think they mentioned in the book, like, there's a there's a time when where certain parallel universes, like, overlap and kind of, like, pass through each other and what happens is people kind of get stuck in between and you know it, it's kind of like a it's kind of like if i guess if a venn diagram was just constantly roving around and at some point like you and your other self kind of merge and then as you separate you wind up being more that other person in the other universe than you are yourself at least that's how i kind of understood it and, and so these people don't know this is happening to them right they just feel like disconnected is that what it is and like yeah, they, it's just like it just it it just happens for you know. I guess like you know, if if someone changed a past event in your life, like your, your the flow of time would just continue. You would just be oblivious to the fact that it, it happened. You know what I mean? It it would take like an outside observer to notice that something has changed in you that you're different. So they're not multiple copies of the same person in the same time zone. You're saying that there's like people who are just misplaced and they're replacing each other in different in different dimensions, and yeah, they feel they feel out of sorts. And they don't yeah. know quite why, except for like some people who have enough information to know that there's this dimension phasing thing going on. Yeah. And this is an ongoing that's how, that's how I understood it. Now, I mean, I could be totally wrong, you know, um, but I from what from what it, it sounded like and from what they were describing, it was kind of like this, like you like a, a different version of you phased through you in this universe. And now you're kind of stuck in between being both that person from that universe and this universe and kind of you're like in this weird place. And was was this a concept that was just only described in this book or is it something larger in the DC universe that, that took place and like they're just referencing it? Because it, if it's just in this book, I don't feel like they concentrated on it enough for me to like get enough information out of it just the way I read it. But I just assumed that maybe this was just like referring to something else that happened in the DC universe. I mean, I don't know. I know that DC loves a great multiversal you know kind of crossover i feel like dc did the first big multiversal crossover that i knew about you know when they did crisis on infinite earths like all the way back in the day um but i can't i i don't know if if it's ever been specifically referenced in another dc book i just know that dc loves doing multiversal stuff so 
Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with Britt. Like they, they have a thing where they do it every so many years. They do like a multiversal crisis kind of thing where the different universes are merging or things like that. So. Yeah, like they just did the rebirth yeah, after, the new, after new DC. 52 they did rebirth. the like rebirth. Yeah. Yeah, the the nun does she have any powers or anything? Does she have anything going on? Or is she, is she just like like a support character? Is she known, or is she just in this book? Uh, I'm not familiar with that character, but I mean powers are kind of like, kind of like you know I don't I don't want to say like relative in this universe. Like you know I mean obviously Lois is not very powerful you know in terms of superpowers. Renee Montoya doesn't have very many superpowers. The question who pops up, which I thought I, I first of all, I I love that because <laughs> I the question is always a character that when he pops up, it's like it's such an odd character, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, having no face. Mm-hmm. And like I've I'd never seen him like do the thing where he, you know, he takes his face off and he he shows his actual like human face. So um I thought that was like, wow, like this is a, a peek into this character that I've never seen before. Uh, you know, and he always has, you know, really interesting kind of roles, like what he's doing in terms of espionage and, you know, information acquiring. He's always kind of like doing interesting, you know, fun stuff. I mean, as a Batman fan, I love that type of detective stuff. Obviously, Batman shows up in this comic. He's yeah. he's not very, you know, he's not powered. But uh and you know Lois comes in and basically sends Renee Montoya as like her messenger, and and Renee is like, "There's no way Batman is gonna show up and give you information." <laughs> and Batman shows up, is like, "Oh, it's for Lois," and he he immediately gets on it. <laughs> Does Lois know Batman's identity? Yeah, I yes, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there's parts of when they're like Superman or Clark Kent is talking to Lois, and it's like. Yeah, I spoke to Bruce, and he told me about what oh, you're yeah. up to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but yeah, back but back Lois to is in that inner circle. Yeah, uh, clearly, rightfully so, uh, it, she, it, she handles it well. Jeffrey, I think just just to kind of go back to what you, before you before you jump back, but like the other thing you were saying about Lois's father not really accepting Superman, it could also be in part the fact that like Superman's relationship with Lois creates like a, pro, a public persona of Lois that his, the father doesn't like, you know, which is like, you know, Lois is like a home wrecker or I'm sorry, well, Lois is cheating and, uh, you know, and having an affair with Superman, which is like what the public thinks because they see Eric kissing them and flying around with him, not knowing that it's Clark, you know, and obviously that's like a, that's an issue for Lois and, uh, and Superman and their relationship as well. Right. It's like how people perceive Lois and when she's around Superman. Well, well, and maybe think, the dad is just like, I don't, I don't like my daughter to be thought of that way. Yeah, well, I think that is very possible that he might have had those feelings. It does. That's not communicated in the book to me. To me, the the parts where they're interacting seem to be prior to her getting married to Clark. So, like back when you know she could have been dating Superman. And then fast forward later on when she's married to Clark for a while and then she finds out, then like, I guess she eventually tells her father that Clark is Superman. 
and he's upset that he she was keeping that a secret from him for so long. That was my interpretation. But, but, he, of, but he, I took it like he knew, but he was just mad that she didn't tell him. Right, I, like I, 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 I didn't we, interpret it that way. But. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just look at it like, how does no one know? So that's why. <laughs> well, he puts some glasses <laughs> on, man. It's like. You know, it's like he slouches well, and puts there, a glass There was a comic that kind of tried to explain it. They said that uh, Superman has a slight form of telepathy where he's able to kind of like project into people's minds that he's not Superman, that he yeah. is Clark Kent. I don't Can know. they give him any that, more powers? Good Lord. That makes that man so dangerous. That, man, that man's in people's heads. And then that's the other thing. Like, if you know, you guys both have daughters. Like, if they were dating the guy who was like had a secret identity and then was projecting in people's heads things that weren't true. You might not be comfortable with him being your uh, son-in-law either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow! So you're saying, so you're saying, Superman should not date your daughter. You would not no. Superman date your daughter. No, no, would you? Yeah, would you, Brett? <laughs> would you? Would you have any saying it? <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, if if she if she handled Superman as well as. Lois handles him. Why not? Yo, she like literally anytime she's in harm's way, she could be like help. <laughs> and the most powerful being on this side of apocalypse will show up. I'm not I'm not, honestly, fellas, I'm not ready to think about that kind of stuff. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. <sighs> I don't know. That's just that's my that's my thought on that. But uh, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell I, you from the flip side. Like, if my son, any of my sons, became Superman or superpowered, and they are dating or married to a woman, and they were coming at her beck and call, I'd be concerned. I'd be like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Uh, really? You think so? I, I, I mean, if if it was like he, like they were being controlled, uh, yeah, I would be like, yo, oh, you need to have like controlled. some balance in this. Yeah, like I the, I don't I don't think Clark is being controlled by Lois or or Kal El. I don't think so. I don't know. It seems like she has like if anything, she's like, do your thing. She's like, I'm I'm over here on a nuclear sub, like finding finding clues. I'm doing my thing. Do your thing. You know, like she's she, at any given time, she is she, not she, worried about. She, what Clark's she's doing got at more. All. She's got more leverage in that relationship than he does. She does her own thing, and then when she needs him, you know, she can she can get she can call him, and so on and so forth. Not to say that he couldn't call on her for help, but and maybe it's just because of their I mean, power difference. We don't see it those times. I mean, but like he doesn't. Yeah, need help, I mean, right? I don't know, man. I kind of feel like she. I, I don't know. I read this book. I kind of felt like okay, like she's the real Superman in the, in the relationship. Like she's got, you know. Well, she was Batman. You know what I'm saying? She had all her little Robins. She was like doing all the stuff. Yeah, That's she was doing Batman about. stuff. Yeah. Batman you know? fight. She wasn't doing no fighting. She had other people doing the fighting for her. <laughs> yeah. She's like, she's more like Joker. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I I mean I thought she was she was doing badass shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so and she, and she fought a little bit, I feel like. She 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 might have thrown a punch once or two. I she was dodging. I think she was dodging bullets. <laughs> did, she, did she punch somebody? She was in harm's way. She was in harm's way. She was way. definitely in harm's <laughs> way. Yeah, I think the most physical thing she did was dodge that bullet. Yeah. But she was just always so many steps ahead. E- even when it seemed like everything is lost 
or whatever like it, it seemed like oh that was all part of the plan even even though she was all worried like even at the end when Montoya got shot you know she she was she seemed like she was upset like she didn't plan for that to happen but it just happened that that was the perfect <laughs> perfect thing to happen for to get the resolution that she wanted um so i don't know yeah but um um one thing i, I wanted to touch on oh what were you about to say go ahead I, i'm not i won't forget go ahead okay now so one thing i wanted to touch on was um they talked a little bit about immigration in this where mm-hmm. uh lois was staying at like a nearby hotel because I, her house was bugged or she didn't want to be at home for some reason i forget and uh so she's staying at this you know hotel or whatnot and they have a, a maid or housekeeper come in and you know obviously the housekeeper's name was uh i forget uh obviously it was something you know uh latin hispanic sounding and uh in order to get the lowest uh her would-be assassin reported this maid housekeeper as an illegal alien and basically assumed the housekeeping position to order in order to plant things in Lois's apartment and, you know, to get information on her. And when Lois kind of put two and two together that, you know, someone had not only fired her or got her normal house made deported, she also was able to put together that this, the same person was, you know, the new housekeeper was probably, the person who infiltrated her and, you know, she was, she was, you know, uh, trying to figure out the best way to help her new friends and not necessarily tip off her new enemies at the same time. And I thought it was really cool how she kind of like managed all these separate situations and how, again, how it became, it, it, it brought something prescient that comes in, uh, to, you know, uh, politics today in terms of deportation and, you know, immigration and rights like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, they they kind of was able to talk to it and showed how disruptive it can be, and just how somebody's whim just to get somebody else and their collateral damage in 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 the middle of the issue with just deporting the the family and separating the kids from the parents and how traumatizing that was for that family. And that uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that was significant. And then in that same scenario, talked about the different, you know, race and culture and communities, right? So Montoya was the one when they went to the house that, hey, how about you let me go and do this? I, you know, I kind of blend in a little bit better than you do. You know, just, just talking about the racial differences in the communities and in our country. Um, that was, you know, addressed. And yeah, I thought it was interesting that they, that they went there for that. Yeah. And then... Um, kind of a little bit of a tangent but i thought it was really cool and this goes back to the the kind of example with uh, superman and the racial issue she brings up superman wonder woman and martian manhunter are all undocumented and you know montoya's response well they're all heroes and she says that's not why they got a pass you know and that Clearly, you know, again, is a play on the fact of people with privilege, people with power don't have to play by the same rules, right, as those without. 
you know, so that was really, you know, subtle, but it was right there in your face too, you know. It's also kind of impossible to enforce anything on any of them. Yeah, but I mean, I I think I think the message. I I was thinking that she said that. I was thinking that she said that because they were just white passing, or at least Martian Manhunter is a shapeshifter, so he can be whatever he wants to be. John Jones doesn't he normally take the 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 appearance of a black man? Not that I know. I mean, he. I mean, he's a shapeshifter, but from what I understood, he always took a shape of. like a white guy. Maybe I'm thinking about the similar character in Marvel. No, no, no. It's it's a uh, Martian Manhunter in, in in the in the animated shows. He it seems like he does take the shape of a black person. And maybe that's even, what I, maybe I see he, he, even in the um, Snyder cut, he's a black guy. Right. Um, right. Maybe that's maybe that's why I think that. But but I I think it was more so that they they're powerful. You know, um, kind of like you know Trump talking about bring bring the people from northern Europe, west northern Western Europe, but none of the you know South Americans can come. You know, I, th- I think it was more along the lines of certain people are acceptable, or certain beings are acceptable, and certain people aren't. Who and who was the list again? It was Martian Manhunter, Martian Manhunter, Superman, and Superman. So three. So I I one hundred percent agree with you, but I mean that's be honest, like. To be, they don't need any citizen um, features either, right? Like they, they don't have, they don't really. I mean, I guess Clark works, but they don't. They don't need money. They, they definitely can't really be subdued. They kind of do whatever. I mean, they're they're three incredibly powerful characters. I mean, I think Martian. I don't know. I'm less familiar with Martian Manhunter, but I know Wonder Woman and Superman are, are pretty much unstoppable. Um. Isn't Martian Manhunter also, with the exception that he doesn't like fire? Yeah, he's supposed to be like a Superman almost. It's Superman powered, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean that just goes to the point like they're powerful, so they get a pass. Yeah. Oh uh, well, I was I was going straight for the race then. <laughs> That's the way I I read that. Yeah. Like, cause I, I mean I, I guess I. I guess I don't remember Martian Manhunter taking human form in, in the cartoons, but I feel like whenever I see him in comics, he's always a white guy. Yeah. It, could, that, it could all be, you know, that could be a factor too. Yeah, could be both. But there was definitely something there. Yeah. So I got another interesting thing that I, I saw throughout this that, that comes up, and this goes along the lines of the the phase shifting that I, I thought you, you see it's a theme or a, what's the word to describe it it's uh something that you see in a lot of sci-fi fantasy um books and movies and stuff um multiple times they talk about the butterfly you know so a man dreams he was a butterfly and then wakes up and you know questions whether or not it's the man was dreaming about being a butterfly or the butterfly is in a dream thinking that they're a man you know and uh you know that kind of goes along with the phase shifting not really knowing who you are and and you know you, you saw for example the the witch and she was going seemed like you know in our reality she's going crazy she's talking all this stuff about playing chess she clearly is crazy but in reality she's not right she she clearly has 
multiple personalities stuck in one body and she's trying to make sense of it all. And, you know, you can see that in a lot of other works, you know, they, you see it also in, in like the matrix, right. Where you have somebody that's kind of, you think it's reality, but they're, they're confused and they have these other visions of something else. And everybody in that, what should be reality thinks, Oh, they're crazy. But in actuality, no, they, they're seeing the truth. And, um, it's a matter of whether or not they pursue that truth. And so, you know, you see that in different works and I thought it was interesting to see how it was presented in, in this one. And I th thought about a lot of different works where it's a similar kind of theme. Didn't know if you guys mm -hmm. thought about that at all. I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen, so you're saying in other, in other parts of sci-fi, you've seen people who are like their, their reality has been, has shifted and it's equally plausible that either one of them is, the true reality and they just make a decision as yeah. a one they're going to follow. Yeah. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, or you, you see it all the time where, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of some, another example. I had a bunch in my head as I was going through it, but you know, basically these people think, Oh, Oh, um, what about conspiracy theory uh, with uh, Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson. And I don't remember, uh, I don't remember, that. I don't remember that well enough. What's, what's uh, and Julia Roberts, Julia Roberts. Yeah. Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts and like they think he, you know he's crazy he's saying all this stuff he, he has all these precautions in place and he has all these numbers in his head and he talks about the horse and the stables and this and that and it was all true you know he was a soldier that was being tortured and all that kind of stuff but he seemed crazy um so you know you see it, you see it throughout a lot of different works in my opinion yeah I got you Gotcha. But that's not Lois Lane. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts regarding Lois Lane, guys? Chris, did we answer the questions that you had regarding the book? Yeah, I think I think my first question was just like, did you guys know more than I did? And I think the answer is no. And then the, the second question I had was like, hey, what's going on with these different realities? And you guys explained it the best you could. And I think like you know, with with all the information available, like I think we scraped. As much as that we as we could together as f figure out like what's going on with those realities. Those are my two biggest questions, and I think my other question was just like, who are these other women? Like, were they vari variations of her, and then or not? At the end of the at the end of the book, she sets up like a it's like a wellness center, right, or some type of yeah. What is it that she's? And it's really for people who are affected with this this phase shift, mm -hmm. but but or you know, and I think one of the challenges that she had, I think at the end was trying to explain to people that this, this actually had occurred and what they were experiencing was not like in their head, but it was a, potentially it was a result of these, of these dimensions overlapping. Mm -hmm. Right. And they, they didn't spend a lot of time on that piece. They just kind of set it up as like, Hey, this is a big lift for us, but we're going to do it. And I think the, the nun was playing some role in, in identifying, um, um, like, well, I don't identify, but like, um, helping people identify whether or not they were they were victims of of this phase shift, but and I think that you know they're both concerned that going in front of the public and even explaining this concept in the first place would be would could potentially discredit them as people. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, you know, so I, I think I think you know I I think I think we, you answered all my questions. I mean, you know. I, I want to go back yeah. and reread it again and see if there's some details I didn't pay attention, close enough attention to, because I was assuming that there was like some background meeting I was missing. Yeah, I think because some I mean, of that story about the phase shift is told by pictures, right? It's not even like some of it's just imagery they have. Of yeah, that, that like a couple of pages where they show like the different universes right. and all the different characters, which is cool. Yeah, it was cool. 
yeah, I just, <laughs> you know, to Chris's point, there was definitely stuff that I didn't know. I didn't know a lot about question. I didn't understand why, you know, I'm familiar with Montoya, but I was familiar with her as a detective. So it was interesting. To, or I, I enjoyed seeing um, her in this new role as as question. And I had to look up and just try to understand her, her arc and see how she went from being, you know, just a, a detective to then kind of working with the original question and being the apprentice of the question to then taking on the mantle of question and, and uh, all that stuff that happened with her. I thought it was also interesting to see how you know, they had a whole uh, series of books. I forget what it was called. Um, like Gotham something, which she was a main feature in. Which Gotham I didn't, I, Central. Uh, that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of talks about her being a lesbian and, and, you know, and, and I guess because of her culture and her religion and how she wasn't accepted by her parents, you know, her, her sexuality wasn't accepted and, and all this stuff. So I, I liked learning about that and seeing how they delved into these issues and, and talked about it through these characters. Yeah, I love a good, like, boiled down story, like street level story, you know. Um, I feel like sometimes with the you know, the tights and capes, like they can just punch their way out of anything. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's easy, you know, whereas this, you know, you have to kind of have forethought and, you know, show that this character has, you know, not only moxie and grit, but, you know, also that they're brave enough to be in, you know, dangerous situations that superheroes would generally put themselves into. They, they're, they're willing to put themselves into those same types of situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think like no now that I listen, I mean I would, let me know what you guys think of this idea, but Lois might be the only person in this in this book who is a hero who doesn't conceal her identity at any point in time. And she's taking on like the most risk. You know, Clark Clark, you know, Superman sleeps at night as Clark, you know, and like no one knows and and Montoya has a mask that I had to look it up on Wikipedia because I didn't know what was going on with the illustration, like what the purple stuff was. I had to look it up and find out that she has like gas, like it's some type of like chemical reaction that makes her face disappear when she puts the mask on. And um, uh, and then you've got Batman that, that plays like just a cameo role. Um, you know, Kiss of Death's face is mostly covered. I mean, I guess people know who Kiss of Death is. But I don't know if it matters or not, but like she's got a skull for her face. And then... Um, you look at it, and most of the characters in the book have two two identities or a concealed identity, or their face is somewhat concealed, with the exception of of Lois Lane. And I thought that was yeah, no, it, it, that was interesting. No, it's, it, that's a great point because it's like most people are concealing their truth or concealing something, whereas Lois is all about exposing the truth and, right. and being one hundred percent exposed. And uh, you know, the the one thing that she has is her somewhat illicit affair with Superman that people keep finding out, you know, or taking, you know, snap photos of them together. And uh, I think it's really interesting how she, she handles that too, because, you know, she knows that there's only so much she can do as a public persona to try to combat that sort of bad press. So she knows that the best thing to do, which is kind of, you know, just let it die and and just and and be a bigger story somewhere else and uh you know i i, I don't know I, I thought it was interesting again 
whatever I just said, I don't know if it made sense, but what you said, Chris, is ex- <laughs> about <laughs> exposing the truth and, and keeping her face exposed and other people trying to be, keep things concealed, I thought was a really great point. Well, you know, me being who I am, you know, I can't help but not be the contrarian and disagree. I think that <laughs> I can't help it, man. I just can't help it. But I feel like all the characters you see, their alternate identity. I think with Lois throughout this whole thing, I'm questioning, did she phase shift? Who is she really? She seems to be extremely intelligent and have, you know, very significant knowledge of other universes. Is she Lois from this universe or is she another Lois combination of, of multiple uh, Loises? Because, and, and that comes up as a question. Multiple characters ask that question throughout the book. Who is she really? Why? How does she know all this stuff? And and she continues to keep secrets close to her chest that she, to the end of the book, she does not reveal. And I, I finished the book wondering, like, who, who is this Lois? You know, how does she know as much as she does? And um, so I would argue that she's the one character that keeps her truth hidden, you know? She's like, 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 like Moya. Is that what you're thinking? Like she's, she's got <laughs> way, more, way more information than she than she should have, and she knows. More well, than I, she well, well, Renee Montoya actually brings that up in the book. She says that she she wonders if this Lois is actually a Lois from a different dimension. Exactly. Um, Somebody else but, does. But I mean, it doesn't but, matter. But, but, but yeah, I mean, but like, what in this book would lead you to believe that she is, or that she's, and even still. She's still Lois Lane. She right. just happens to be like a Lois Lane from somewhere else. But I mean, it's not like she's hiding who she is. The the very essence and nature of who she is, jumping into the battle, trying to find the truth, never being scared of any supervillain. Like, you know, like that's that's who Lois Lane is. You know what I mean? I don't think that's being untrue to herself at all in any kind of way. And that that might be also one of the the themes of the book right regardless of where you are from whatever dimension and whatever iteration you take your core being who you are is still the same you're here yeah i think that's good are you a comic book creator looking for a new or additional engagement platform for your community then come take a look at brilliance Brilliance is a blockchain-powered platform where authors can publish ebooks, crowdfund new creative ideas, and connect with their readers. With Brilliance, authors can set royalties that endure beyond the initial sale to include royalties on resale of the book. That's right. Unlike many other ebook providers, Brilliance allows users to resell their books on the marketplace, and with each sale, the original creator will receive their royalty payment directly to their account. Authors are free to price their works however they would like. Unlike other platforms, Brilliance does not pressure creators into pricing restrictions. By unlocking pricing, Brilliance allows for natural price discovery and a true relationship between the creator and their devoted readership. Additionally, by leveraging Brilliance's blockchain technology, authors can access all the readers who have owned their work or even works of a similar genre. This gives the authors an opportunity to build their own distribution lists, connect directly with their fan bases, and grow their unique community. 
there are many more benefits to this game-changing platform. Learn more and sign up by going to brilliance.io. That's brilliance.io. Let's establish a new paradigm. We have a, a guest today. His name is Austin. He's the head of One Blue Land. Um, Austin, please just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so just a quick background. Um, uh, I'm actually a nurse. Uh, I've been a nurse for about the 12 years. Uh, so very much into the medical field. And I created uh, a company called One Blue Land. It's about publishing finance-related content through comics. Uh, it's quite a unique category there because there's really no other subject about finance and comics. It's uh, pretty pretty rare. But the main reason I created the whole company is because uh, when I turned 30, even though I was a nurse, I realized that uh, me and my wife, we were in so much debt. We were like negative $40,000 in credit cards. You know, we had a pretty good, decent paying job, stable income, but yet for some reason, you know, we were just, I guess, you know, stuck in the rat race, if you want to call it that. And so, I don't know, just something about hitting 30 that uh, kind of struck me. And I, I got really deep into uh, listening to podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, finance-related content. I read the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, it it kind of just snowballed from there. And uh, I got pretty heavily into crypto, NFTs, real estate, stocks. And um, now I'm pretty much infusing everything I learned over the past three years into these comics and NFTs. Great, great. That's awesome. Yeah, you can definitely see that in, in the work you're creating. Um, it's educational, too. You have a lot of uh, financial aspects trying to it seems like you're trying to teach your um, the community about finance through the the comics. Yeah, I mean, it's just something I wish I got exposed to earlier when I was in my teens or 20s, because I don't know. I never really got inspired about finance. I felt like finance was so boring. <laughs> mm. So uh, there was no like role model or there was like no superhero or like uh, i guess stories that inspired me because I, I was pretty heavy into like you know pokemon back then dragon ball z uh Yu-Gi-Oh, uh marvel comics you know dc stuff like that but yet i don't know I, I had zero interest in finance but it's such an important topic that i feel like you know it should be i mean now it's getting a lot more mainstream definitely but i just wish that it was a, a more easier uh, content consume that'll inspire you into, you know, creating your own financial freedom, your financial future. Yeah. And and how did you come to create your characters? Like, how what what inspired? Because I'm 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 from what I've seen like your major titles are Moon Boy and Captain Bitcoin, and just tell us how you how those characters came about and and kind of how you're using them to educate people. Yeah, I mean. Like a big, um, a big investment uh, for me back then was was Bitcoin. That's when that's the that's the very first thing that I got uh, pretty heavily into, and uh, you know it paid off very well. I mean, <laughs> no financial advice, not financial advice for anything, but uh, <laughs> but the first comics had to be about Captain Bitcoin because I felt like it was such a like a movement. Um, it, there was the philosophies behind it is just so important for everybody to to consume to reach out to i guess um and for me bitcoin really kind of introduced me to everything else and that's why the, the very first comics was about captain bitcoin um the rest of the comics are actually going to be 
title of the to uh, certain metaphors, certain uh, characters that I felt like uh, reflect really valuable lessons about finance. For example, um, one of the main villains is called the Time Stealer, and that's actually going to be our very last, um, very last issue for this series. And in my opinion, um, you know, the reason I wanted to create that, like that ultimate villain called the time stealer is because, um, you know, we talk about finance investments and all that stuff, but in the end, what, what's really the most important thing is your time. And, you know, time is the most important asset, really not, not stocks, not crypto, not the anything, you know, it's, it's just, it's just the most limited thing that we have. So I wanted to create the, a character, a, a super villain, I guess that reflects that. Um, but yeah, so you, you'll kind of see that constant theme around all the comics. There's characters named after um, uh, important lessons about finance. So you have Captain Bitcoin. So would you consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist or Bitcoin maxi? Or where, <laughs> I mean, I'm where would you say a big you fall fan. in that spectrum? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I don't consider myself a maximalist. You know, I believe in the whole crypto space, blockchain, NFTs. But you know, Bitcoin is definitely right. Like it's like the the big guy. It's the <laughs> it's 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 the king that'll, I guess, uh, rising tide will. What do you call it? What was that quote again? Um, raise all ships. Raise all ships. Raise all ships. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's Bitcoin to me. Um, right. and, and so I see in your uh, when you go to your site, you guys have a whole um, ecosystem. You have multiple platforms you're you're using. How do you how do you see everything working together? Because you have uh, physical comics, you have NFTs, you you, you have um, some video content. Um, so you have a lot of different um, components there. How, how does it all work together? Um, the main thing is uh, uh, the NFT is tied to the comics. I just wanted to create something that'll be uh, that you can hold physically. Uh, and at the same time, have that digital footprint that'll, uh, I guess, um, further, you know, authenticate it because NFTs are like the most, uh, it's the best way to authenticate that you have something physically. Cause if you own it physically and digitally, then, you know, um, it's, it's, I think it's the best proof. You can't, uh, tamper with it. Right. Um, so we created like 2,100 NFTs that have 2,100 copies of that comic physically. Um, but the digital content itself, like, uh, the, the, like the videos, the, the pictures, um, they're all accessible online. It's all for free. Um, the main thing is I just wanted to create that 2,100 copies for those, you know, hardcore collectors that I hope, um, uh, that, that saw us from the beginning. And I hope that if they have it, from the beginning, it'll pay off in the end. You know what I mean? Because I'm a big collector myself. I'm a big fan of like first editions. Um, I collected Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh back then. I love slabs. I love uh, PSA graded stuff. And so uh, I'm actually gonna pull it right here because I have like a one of the copies I have. It's it's graded by CGC. So this is one of the titles. Um, Moon Rising. This this whole issue is about inflation actually because we wanted to create like a like a character that represents that. I don't know if you can see, but yeah. this guy right here is the, he's a money printer. <laughs> he wanted to create like a money printer villain. Um, what Long else? Yeah. Burr, right? yeah. Yeah. His name is Burr. This is, <laughs> this is the first issue right here. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull it up right here. This is the, 
Captain Bitcoin. That's what we were mm-hmm. talking about. That's probably what the, caught a lot of people's uh, eye in the in the NFT NYC mm-hmm. or the Comic Cons because because they approached me and they're like, "Oh, what the? Is it Captain Bitcoin?" I don't know. The cover, in my opinion, is just it's so iconic. Um, what else? But yeah, I, I really wanted to tie that physical with the digital, and uh, it's going to be awesome. It's uh, uh, the Satoshi series is eight issues, and we have uh, other standalone series like moon boy that you mentioned there um that one is like like graphic novel like 76 pages so we're going to create we wanted to create you know different stories from different universes um not necessarily tied to each other but that highlight those important financial lessons through these characters and stories so you were a you grew up kind of like a fan of comics and anime and then now you've created your own comic book, but like, so it's kind of like step one, like comic step three, make a comic book. Like what's step two? Like, how did you get from, I like comic books to, I am going to make one. Like, can you talk a little bit about that process? Like how did you even start and and, and get to that, fa- that final product? Yeah. I mean, for me, just, it's just my personality. If I get into something, I get in really heavy. I go all in. Mm. So I kind of went a little too overboard because, um, in the beginning, I just wanted to, you know, just create these nice pictures, these characters, character design. But then I was like, you know, what's the point of all these uh, character designs? Like, what's the point of these cool-looking characters? Um, I feel like I had to create a story behind it. That way, um, it'll it'll reach out to as many people as possible because stories is that's what's gonna inspire people to um, to take charge of their financial futures. But so yeah, in the beginning, you know, um, I was just working with the uh, freelancers i used the um, you know different platforms uh we were i worked with a lot of writers i i would say like at least i've seen maybe like at least like uh like a 50 to 100 plus like uh different scripts um but in the beginning i i created the idea first i created all the characters just in my own world in my own universe and then um you know i spoke to a lot of um writers to you know, draft something that'll that'll like that I like or like uh, I feel like what people would um, gravitate to. So from the from the character creation, then we went into the character design. So then I I work with a lot of artists um, just to like draft like you know sketches for like these characters. Um, so now that I have the character design and the story, um, I just had to basically you know you you want to uh, to me like I want to work with as many people as possible because. I'm not really going to realize, um, you know, which one I like, which style I like, or I'm not really going to like, what if I don't vibe with that personality? Right. You know what I mean? So to me, I, my philosophy is, you know, work with as many people as possible and then, uh, go from there. So now, now that we have the artists, the writers, the next step would be to, um, uh, pick and choose like the top ones. So from then, I ended up working with like just out of a hundred plus, I would say like the same like five seven people that, that we've been working with to create the rest of these comics over and over again. So you'll you'll notice all of them because all these super talented writers and artists they're all on the website, so mm-hmm. you can see who um yeah, you have a decent with. sized team there yeah 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 um, but from then after we got the the stories the characters you know um the comic book panels right. Um, then we go into production through uh, like a printing company. 
So uh, I just worked with like a like a um, like US based printing company, and uh, from there, you know, we we handle I, I handle all the all the logistics behind shipping and like uh, um, packaging, shipping worldwide. So. I mean, twenty one hundred copies. You know, it's not it's not that much. You know what I mean? It's it's such a small print that I feel like it's it's a manageable thing by a small team. Mm. It's not that much at all. Are you in any local shops? Or how, how do you distribute? Is it um, all through your your website? It's all just strictly through a website and like live events, like the NFT NYC um, and like Comic Cons. So yeah, just that's it. Um, have you have you considered doing a distribution maybe through Diamond if, if that's possible or and trying to get to those local shops or what? Yeah, it's it's definitely an option in the future. Um, I uh, we haven't dived into it yet, but totally open for it. Yeah, cool man. But but the NFT NYC man that that was such an awesome event. I felt like um, uh, like. I mean, versus Comic Cons, NFT NYC people people get it. You know what I mean? Like uh, you don't have to explain anything. They they understand all the terminology. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we, um, I don't know. I brought I came in with like two suitcases of like the the comics, and then I went home that like first day. It was it was all out. I, I was I was so happy. <laughs> yeah, I it was crazy. <laughs> Even the CGC graded copies got the got bought out. I was so shocked. I was I Excellent. loved it. So, so you're definitely going these... next year then. Oh oh uh, oh yeah yeah definitely and. Um, the comic cons though i felt like the uh those are more educational opportunities for people that are not exposed to uh crypto or like um nfts and stuff so those i feel like those are super important too because this is the whole thing is so new to them like all these terms mm-hmm. so you know pros and cons to each event and uh but either way we enjoyed all of it yeah it's interesting because I, I think um you are communicating with the, the fans when they come by your booth at a comic con but then also i'm sure you probably have some artists coming up to you and asking you a little bit more about you know oh you're in nfts tell me about that or you probably have a chance to speak to some of the other creators have, have do they seem interested in in what you're trying to create oh yeah um i mean it's just it's so new to them that the uh, they have they, most most of the people had an open mind when i um uh, when I was speaking to them, they're interested in it. They really love the art. Um, the as far as finance, you know, people are shocked that we're creating this kind of stuff because, uh, like, how do you even create a metaphor about the about finance? You know, it's so hard. Um, you have to be really creative to get to that point. I don't really consider myself uh, in a rush. Like, we're not in a rush at all. I feel like I just love doing this. That this whole thing is like a long term thing for me. And the uh, and I I love looking at the pictures. Every time I open the book, I feel like it's like I don't know. I get that feeling like over and over again. It's the same exact strong feeling I get. I got when I you know when I hit thirty when I went crazy on finance. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so first editions. I still we still have a lot of um, the the limited editions. So it was like a hundred first editions and two thousand limited editions for each issue. And that's gonna be the the whole uh, print run for forever for all these comics. Like I'm really like, stuck on that. Twenty one hundred per issue, and that's it. And twenty one hundred NFTs, that's it. I, we graded like maybe like maybe like fifty or something, but I only have like ten left of the CGC graded ones. Those are those are really popular. I felt like people wanted them. They they wanted them slabbed, you know, and just put on display. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
your thought keeping the inventory capped, your thought is that this will create like a collectible, the value will go up and people will have something later on in life that is appreciating in value. Correct. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that that's the whole it? thing with collectibles, right? right? Like you, you have this emotional attachment to it. And also it has that financial aspect behind it too. So I think it's a win-win because, you know, there's people, they're, they're never going to sell their collectibles and then it's just going to go up from there. Um, yeah. Cause I, you know, I told you guys, I'm, I'm pretty big into like PSA stuff, um, CGC grading stuff, slabs. You have two collectibles though, right? You have the comic book and you also have the NFT. Yeah. Right? Each one of them can individually be collected. I mean, they come together, right? But then after that, they can be um, separated and they can still circulate. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think the value is into keeping the boat together. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it's up to you once you get it, because let's say you buy the NFT, we'll ship you the comics. What you do after, it's it's totally up to you. But I think there's total, totally a lot more value if they come together. Mm -hmm. Because the NFT itself, it's it's what we're going to use for like... You know, future um, future projects like like uh, merchandise or like uh, you know, people will get free merch from that comic book or stuff like that. Like the NFT holder is what's gonna get pretty much all the benefits because that's how you verify, right? The, I mean, the physical, like the way we handled it was the physical will still come with like a certificate of authenticity. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that on the NFT NYC, but. The certificate of authenticity, it's it's blockchain registered right there on uh, Bitcoin. We we use this platform called the uh, Verisart, and um, each individual print will come with like its own number. Like this one, it's um, edition one out of a hundred. Mm, so see. so yeah, the, each each comic book, even though there's twenty one hundred of them, there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, up all the way up to. 2100 so that so the, the certificate is what's gonna um verify the print number that's a cool yeah, idea yeah. this might be a little bit in the, in the weeds but um what what chain are your nfts on are they on uh ethereum yeah it's it's only on, on ethereum um that's how we started and i i think we're gonna stay there for now I'm, I'm i don't we don't have any i mean you know we're open in the future always but it's pretty much all on ethereum okay yeah, OpenSea or like Rarible or like, uh, yeah. So I, on your main page, you have the the that one video, the Moon Boy story, uh, forty seven minutes. It's it's uh it's it's great. You know, it had to take some time to put that together, but it's free. You're giving that away. Um, so you know, I'm just just curious on on, on how you. It's a lot of time and energy put into, you know, you have the voice acting and and all the animation and um, just, just trying to see how every everything comes back to the sale of the comic and the NFTs. That's kind of pretty much how you recoup some of these expenses. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this whole project is a, is a uh, passion project of mine and it's all self-funded. <laughs> um, from crypto. Have you thought about doing Kickstarter or <laughs> anything? From Bitcoin, Ethereum, right? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, but the way we're going to manage the future, right? It's just going to be through NFT sales and like comic book sales. Yeah, you're right. Um, the videos, I felt like it's it's so important to just get the idea uh, out there. Mm -hmm. The videos are going to be free. Like that's, that's going to be. Yeah, free content forever. You, it's on YouTube. Um, we're going to cut clips and, you know, put it 
we're going to go pretty heavy on like reels, TikTok, stuff like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know marketing can be a challenge for um, the independent artists, but that that's a great, I think that's going to be a great uh, strategy for you. Yeah. So we have the long form content already and like moving forward, we're going to just put everything in the nice pieces and just publish all of them. That that's the future um, goal, short-term goal. And then well, long-term goal too, but yeah. So what are some of the next upcoming events for you? Um, any comic cons coming up uh, where people can find you guys or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely looking into NFT NYC. Um, and we're going to try to get into the, the big, um, big app, uh, New York, you know, New York Comic Con maybe next year. Um, also, I, I want to do more like, uh, um, you know, West Coast stuff, regional stuff, um, eventually international. You know, I have a, I have a pretty high goals, but uh, right now I feel like you might not even necessarily need that because everything's online nowadays. So I think our focus right now is just um, the marketing piece of it, the just getting the content out there and the putting it to where people's attentions are, which is mainly right reels, um, TikTok, YouTube shorts, stuff like that. We uh we were discussing you coming on and and Chris mentioned um some of the stuff going on in the news lately. Um, yeah, yeah. You you want to talk about that, Chris? Wow, I was just gonna ask if you are are you looking to like address things that go on in like the crypto world now? Like for example, like FTX. Like, are, is that something that you'll use as like a story concept for you? Uh, oh, I mean, thoughts about that. I'd love uh, to hear this your thoughts. Live events, definitely. Like, uh, it's it's the, in the back of my head. I feel like we could do such a good like um, content out there in comic version or like uh, um. Like I'm keeping track of everything happening right now. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, yeah, I could totally create a character and then the uh, you know recreate the whole story. I th- I feel like people will uh will like that type of content. I think so. Yeah, yeah because it, it resonates with like what they know happened in you know in current events, so they'll be able to like tie it together. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, even I mean, yeah, what's going on with SBF and FTX and all that and CZ and all these acronyms and all it's kind of crazy. Uh, but just in general, just just the economy with inflation, it's um that in itself um could make for some interesting uh, stories going forward. But yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. The the only thing, the only challenge I could foresee is like uh the production time. So uh, mm-hmm. we might not, you know, you might not be able to like, do it like right then and there. Yeah. But in the future, you might you might see, you know, like <laughs> that that the that's gonna sound super familiar. Like, oh, like, I, I know exactly who this guy represents, or this people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I wanted to just ask you a quick question about something I saw on your site: the uh, financial freedom algorithm. That mm-hmm. is that something that like was that like the the beginning of everything. Is that one of the things like that was that like the plan you put forth first to kind of put out your mission? Yeah. So the the financial freedom algorithm actually that was that was the way I saw freedom. Like that that was the way I saw um, how I would start my journey. Um, and I feel like I just needed like a visual that'll be easy to like look at and the, that makes sense. So yeah. that's exactly the path that I took. I mean, you know, we're definitely gonna um, change it up. You have to update it. Um, I'm always learning, like, like always learning. It's crazy. There's so much information out there yeah. that things get outdated, you know? So that one we have to update it. Um, but that's exactly how I started the financial freedom algorithm. 
it's cool. It, it's well laid out. I mean, even in this version. So, you know. Yeah, we got to put like, you know, alternative investments in there. Like, you know, like NFTs, art, like I have, we have to update it. But yeah, that's exactly how I started. <laughs> cool. So you, you met a lot of artists and, and writers. Where are you finding all these uh, writers and artists? You know, so yeah, so mostly like either Instagram, ArtStation, Upwork, Fiverr. Um, I don't want to give advice on which, which, uh, which is the best platform out there, but the, or sh should I mention it? <laughs> but I mean, most of the most of the people that I've ended up working with, um, it's I would say it's a combination of Instagram and like uh, Upwork. Those are like the the top people. Um. But there's there's some really good artists or like writers that I did find through like Fiber, um, but I would say most of them are were definitely from Upwork. But cool, man! It was it was great to have you on. Um, why don't you just drop your socials and um, other information so that that our, our listeners can can know where to find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so just onebluland.com, um, just spelled out. Uh, onebluland.com. It's everything's in there. All the content, all the comics. All right, everybody, that's our show. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at issues.on.issues, YouTube at issues on issues, and Twitter at comics underscore issues. We'd love to hear from you, so email us at comics at brilliance.io. Please like, share, and subscribe to our show to continue the conversation. This podcast was edited by Britt. Special thanks to him for putting this all together.